everybody likes guns. They just don't know it. Deep inside of the soul, there's a cowboy trying to get out. Welcome to New Shooter Canada. Please remember that the show's content and word pronunciation is simply the opinion of the host and their guests. Hello and welcome to New Shooter Canada, episode 205. I'm your host tonight, Mike, and tonight with me I have Thomas. Hey, Mike. Amanda. Hi, Mike. Hi, and Josh. Hello. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. Yeah. Pretty good. What about you? Uh, doing all right. Just wrapping up a week of no kids. So, you know, preparing mm-hmm. myself. <laughs> um, so, Amanda, what have you been up to the last uh, couple of weeks? Oh, not a whole lot, but I've been busy uh, managing the Facebook site for the Melbourne and Rod and Gun. And uh, we've had lots of inquiries for memberships uh, and wanting to do the tours. I think we've had five in the last two weeks. And we've had at least seven or eight people inquiring about the hunting and the PAL courses. We've got an ongoing list for PAL, but unfortunately we will not be uh, running any PAL courses or our PAL till the new year. We ended up getting a little bit of flack because we ran courses for six weeks straight on the weekends. And so we did have some upset members about the range not being available. So we're working on a new solution for that. But uh, otherwise, I'm really excited to see the people interested still, and it's just keeping on going. But we also have to mind our our whole COVID restrictions. So it's been good, though. Uh, and then I, I did go to PPC again this week, and I actually beat Josh. I can't hey. believe it. Now, despite the... I was tired. Sun was in my eyes. <laughs> Here come the excuses. Yeah. No, no. Um we, I was. It was only by one point, and really, there was one. Oh, don't even. Oh, that's fine. You beat me fair and square. A win, a win's a win, even if it's by one point, and I'm yeah. sticking to that. Yeah. Well, she beat me fair and square. It was excellent. She did really well. well Hold on. So, what were you shooting, Amanda? Well, I ended up shooting his uh, victory, the uh, 22 victory, and okay. he did the same. So it was on the same level playing field. Same gun, same ammo. Same gun, yeah. same okay. ammo. Okay. Um, so, and, ready to go, Amanda. Yeah, so same, same uh, stovepipe issues. Yeah. <laughs> I was managing a lot better. On uh, There's a nice little trick. So if you just pull the gun back just a tad bit and shake out the key, um, <laughs> the, the then you didn't have to, like, drop the mag and, and reset it or anything like that. So, it, it, But it's a flow that you kind of have to keep up with. So because it was having extraction issues every I don't know, every, every third or fourth. Third, yeah. yeah, so it wasn't fun, but at least, yeah, it was the same playing field, and I, I was really happy. I was very relaxed. It was a lot of fun. So and so it was a 480 match, and I got 439. So I was Excellent. pretty stoked with that score. So, But that's about it for me. That's awesome. Thanks. So how much room is in your club? Like, do you have positions available for new members? Yes. We absolutely do. I don't know how many more positions we have, but well, we haven't we haven't capped it yet. Um, we're having an executive meeting actually next weekend. Um, we're going to bring it up. We bring it up every year. We look at how many members we have, and we we still haven't uh, reached. I don't think we've reached our capacity because I, anytime you go, you, you never have to wait. I've I've never waited to shoot, and we kind of monitor the sign-ins and 
there's just a few few days of the week where you get a bit of a spike, but other than that, I think we could handle a lot more people. That's How many good. members do you have now? Uh, we're at 100 and f- 140. Around 140. I can't. I, I'm not sure the exact numbers right now. After the, we just had our year end, so I'd have to check and see how many actually paid and how many new ones just came in. But I think we're around 140. Yeah, we were at 137 at the year end. Yeah. Uh, but there's been several new members since the year end. So, yeah. um, I, I'm getting. I'm gonna say over 140 now. But really, truly, we never, ever, I've never come across anybody else, maybe except for one person when I go shooting. And so, and that's with our reduced lanes. It's, it's awesome. So. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I, I couldn't well, it's, it's good and it's bad, because, I mean, it's nice that you can just go and do your thing and not have to wait or be crowded. But it would also be better to get some people in there to have a little bit more life in the club, right? You know, more, more competitions, more events. Stuff yeah. Like I, I get what you're saying. Sometimes you go to the range and you want to be social and you want to run into people, but there's other times yeah. when you want to go to the range and you're just like, please, God, let there be nobody else yep. there. I don't do want to see a soul. Yeah. You want yeah. to have a plan. You want to do what you want to do and get in and get out. Yeah. But. Mm-hmm. The busiest time I've ever seen it is during pistol night. And we usually have a max of six people in there. And we just, because our stalls are shut down, we're, like three or multiple, two. do Most, multiple lines and yeah, yeah, we just do multiple lines and uh, so that everybody's still being safe and it, we're still done in an hour. Yeah. With yeah. the 480, 40, 480 challenge, so I mean, it's easy peasy. Do you guys score your targets like as soon as you're done, so you know like your score when you leave? Yep, we usually go back in the clubhouse afterwards and do that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That that's how we we do the PPC matches too. After you're done, everyone goes in and pretty much you hand your target, you know, one to the left kind of thing, and that guy scores it for you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's good. So Josh, what have you been up to? Uh, well, uh, not a whole lot myself either. Just Thursday night getting beaten badly by Amanda. <laughs> and uh, the first of that's not always sure. a bad thing. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, the the, sto- the failure to eject issue is driving me nuts, too, and it's getting worse, I think. So I think something's going on. So I got on the U- University of YouTube there, and I saw it's, people are, are pointing at the uh, ejector. It's like a little welded-on um, little welded on pin, almost, and they're saying if you just take a, some needle on those pliers and give it a little bend, um, I guess it just uh, changes where it impacts the back of the casing. And uh, that could be the issue, so... I, I gave that a go here before the show and gave it a little tweak and I'm going to bring it to the range tomorrow and try and see if that fixes it. But everybody on YouTube has said once they gave it a little bend, it was good hundreds of rounds later and no, no issues. So fingers crossed on that. Try my hand at uh, gunsmithing. But, uh, and you, did you change the, did you change the extract from that too? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I got uh, from tandem cross. I got the Eagle yeah. talent extractor and that didn't change anything. But it's it's gotten worse just in the last I don't know a few months for some reason so so I thought I better try something and what's there's no harm in it it's not going to cost me anything as long you as have, I don't snap no. as long as I don't snap it off <laughs> and you have a second one if you do right yeah well no this is the uh, this is the uh, not the extractor it's the ejector it's just oh, like a, okay. a little piece that's, that's weld spot welded on there um, to to kind of bump it out the side right. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry, I was getting mixed up between ejector and extractor. Yeah, so I tried changing the extractor first, right? So yeah. that that wasn't it, so yeah. um, 
And then uh, yeah, that, that, that was my suggestion was the extractor. But yes, I, I thought it would work. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, it's it's a good part. I'm not mad that I did it. It was cheap. I think it was only I think it was only twelve dollars American or something like that. So it wasn't a big deal. And you notice a bit of a change when you first started, but it's just been yeah, getting it was, progressively worse. It was better at first, and now it's just it's horrible now. So the injectors probably bent way uh, uh, way off to one side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So give it a little tweak and see, and go from there, I guess. But other than that, I, I survived our year-end vote. I'm still uh, on the executive, um, so that's good, I guess, for another year. Well, are, are you still the president, or? Uh, well, I am right now. Well, there's a vote on this weekend, uh, so we we vote as a club to keep the executive as it is, and then within the executive, we vote for the different positions within the executive. So. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see how how that goes on Saturday. But, are, you, are you ready to run for president again? I'm I'm gonna just see what happens. <laughs> if no one steps you know, up, then you'll that's just the thing. whatever. If, if someone really wants to take over, then fine. But I don't mind doing it again, I guess. So I feel it's like that's that. Uh, I'll do it if I have to, but I really don't want yeah. to. Yeah, you know that's the thing. It's like I don't I don't mind doing it so much, but I'm not really gonna go you know go after it. <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know that there's anybody else that really wants to do it either. So. Yep. Oh, I understand that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Thomas, well, what have you been up to? Um, see, I have a lot of really nice guns. We've got some. We've got the Dan Weston LAPD in the shop in nine and forty-five. They were nice to see. Um, we got the new the Colt uh, Anaconda. Just some nice, nice toys. Um, shooting wise. I sighted in a couple of muzzle loaders for the first time. I've never actually sat down and sighted in a muzzle loader. And man, those things put up a lot of smoke in the indoor range. I mean, just, it just fills it instantly one shot. So, but I was, uh, one thing that really amazed me, we have these, uh, CVA muzzle loaders. They're inexpensive, like 330 or something, but they come with an integrated, it's, it's a, a base with the rings attached to the base. So it's one piece unit. And every three by nine I put on there, they've almost been dead on from the factory. I only had to bring the the windage left to right a couple times. I'm amazed. I probably put a couple dozen scopes on those things, and they're all so close right out of the box. As soon as I put the scope on, it almost lined up. The rings and, and the setup was drilled so nice from the factory, so that was nice. And then I did do I did do actual shooting. Uh, we have a new manager at work, and he asked me if I'd help him take his kids and his wife shooting. So I met him, uh, Brent. I brought my 1022 and my Browning lever action, a couple mats, and we shot prone with the kids because they were 11 to 16. And the kids did fantastic. Of course, I had them on a bipod, so the girls were knocking the center out of the holes because they're not having to even hold the gun. But they had a blast. And I told the oldest girl who was 16, uh, if she wants to come back again, then I would teach her how to shoot a pistol. So that was fun because I hadn't been doing any instructing since the, uh, the COVID hit. All the range rentals are shut down totally. Rental fleet's gone. Um, we're getting back the rental fleet for the customers, but we're not going to be open to the public for, I guess, they have a vaccine because it's just, What's it's too up close and personal. What color color are you guys? Uh, we're right out here now. Are you red? Yeah. Yeah. We've started, and we've started bullseye back up again. Like still using the protocol because everybody's, every other lane's closed. So at least we're getting some of the leagues back up. Um, bullseye and I think the steel shoots coming on. I'm still waiting to hear from Kelly Lynn, but we have uh, a maple seed planned as well too. Um, but it will be at half capacity instead of having 13 lanes, you're going to have six lanes. So 
unfortunate, but it'd be great to get something like that in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, it just that just uh, popped a question in my head. How are you guys handling, like, a, well, you guys just have an indoor range, right? Yeah. Now, Mike, the range that you go to, is it indoor and outdoor, right? Nope, it's only outdoor. Only outdoor? Okay. Uh, are you guys wearing masks outside as well? Um, I'm not. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't been to the range in, like, a month now. No. And as okay. far as I know, because we're outdoor only, we don't have a mask requirement. Okay. Well, we just implemented a mask at all times um, based on what was set out by the government. So, I mean, we've had a couple disgruntled shooters because they don't understand why if they're outside that they need to wear one, which I understand. But we do have, I would say, in our club, of a very high aging population. So... I think it's more for to protect them than anything else, just in case, right? So I was just curious well, how you guys were handling it at each of your clubs if you had an outdoor. So, Well, even on the indoors, you have to wear a mask all the way through to get to the range. Once you're at your shooting position, because you're, you've got more than six feet apart, then you don't have to wear a mask when you're shooting. But as soon as you're going through the doors or entering into areas, you have to have a mask on. Because I'm pretty sure when we went to Guelph, we saw that sign yes. that said, must be masked unless you're doing physical activity. Or overexerted. Or something like that, yeah. If you're overexerted. Physical exertion. Yeah, physical, physical exertion. exertion. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just curious what other clubs were doing in the meantime. Yeah. I've had very few customers without masks. I would say probably 99.9% of people are wearing masks. That's good. I'd say maybe 50% are wearing them correctly. Oh, where they, where they put it, their nose sticking out in their mouth? Yeah, they got their nose sticking up or they've got it up so high that the air is there. Mm-hmm. No. You can't I, talk. Then they say, well, I can't breathe. So, well, then you're not wearing it right. You're not supposed to be able to breathe with it on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, sorry to interrupt you there. I was just curious. Maybe have a little thought there because I did have someone to email in and they were really miffed about it. And I just, you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry at this point in time. And I want to be able to continue shooting as long as we possibly can. So what's the lesson? Well, you know, the, goals, right. So, you know, the funniest thing about all this and the mask and everything is now people are joking about it. Because if you're if you're in retail and I'm wearing a mask and you're wearing a mask and we're, we're six feet apart, half the time I can't understand a word you're saying. And you can't understand me. So now we, we call it mask and ease because we're having to re- get people to repeat <laughs> stuff two and three times. Right. And it's it, at least people are, are joking about it. and They're they're having fun with it. Like nobody's getting really mad or cranky. It's, you know, no, it is what it is. But I'm glad they're joking about it, at least, you know, making making lighthearted, not being able to understand each other. No, no, I agree. Anyways, continue with what uh, you did this week there, Thomas. Oh, let's see. Besides the shoot, that's just about it. I did. I reorganized all the ammo and we had a fair amount. So everything's out. So once you walk in the store, what's there is, is there. Um, yeah. You're not going to be seeing a lot. We've gotten some nine millimeters. For the for the members, we do have some nines, but everything else is just slowly going. Good thing you bought that case, then, Josh, or what a mm-hmm. certification. We got yeah. we got lots of twenty twos and lots of nines, but all the specialized calibers, especially the hunting calibers, they're gone with hunting season. A lot of the slugs are gone. There's mm-hmm. very I've got like two cases of target slugs left, and that's it. There'll be no more target slugs for any of the uh, three gunners and stuff. So Easy. we're lucky up here because the states had dried up months ago. Yeah. So now when do you expect it'll fill up again? 
Well, from what I understand, Canada probably won't get an order for at least six months. Ouch. We're getting anything up here. That's not good. Remember, before COVID, everything was at 20% production. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of product in the, in the system as it was. Okay. And, and that's everything. That's firearms, shotguns. All firearms are like that right now because every it was a buying spree and there wasn't enough being produced. So it, a lot of stuff's gone. I'm getting some stuff in, a lot of air guns, but nothing really new lately. No. It's coming in in trickles, like stuff that it was already up here we're getting, but stuff that has to come up from the U.S., forget it. We don't. Some I've been told by a couple of retailers that we won't see some stuff for a year. Wow. Or distributors, I should say. And what were that, you going like? uh, is, uh, is that the same for reloading supplies as well? We don't stock a lot of reloading, but when Obama got elected, um, the first thing to go was federal primers. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, they're the first thing to go. You couldn't find them anywhere. That and powder. That's how, like, that's... And powder. Well, that's why I ended up um, even shopping at East Hill Outdoors is that I couldn't find any primers. So I went in because uh, my friend Russ works there and he actually got me some CCI primers, but nobody had any of the Federals. And the CCI were a, a little bit softer than the Winchesters, in my opinion. But hmm. All right. Well, uh, did anyone do any Black Friday shopping? Not for guns. <laughs> I've got I've got too much of a list of trying to get my Christmas shopping done in general, and uh, other than Josh, I don't really have anybody to shop for that likes anything guns. fun. <laughs> yeah, nothing fun. We uh, I went on I went on a on a third of a case <laughs> with two guys, so a third of a nine, case of nine millimeter. Uh, or? Yeah, nine mil. Yeah. And by a case, you mean a thousand? A thousand, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. How long? About- how long would that three hundred rounds usually last you? Um, I don't know, six weeks. Six weeks, yeah. That's, well, that's not bad. Well, I was just gonna say, you don't shoot it all the time. Yeah, you I've sh- been you shoot twenty-two more than you. I've do been alternating now. every week, shooting twenty-two or nine mil. So yeah, trying that- to be cost conscious. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine with it being winter, you'll probably go left. But then again, you have an indoor shooting range, so there's yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so jealous. <laughs> My mine's 24 hours. Yeah, you're a little bit far for a drive. You'd welcome to join me anytime. Yeah. One day, I'm sure I will. Anyways, yeah, I just did some browsing too, but I didn't end up buying anything. Um, Besides that, I reloaded about 300 rounds of 38 shorts with uh, some lead bullets that I bought recently from Spear. They're supposed to be uh, round nose with some sort of coating on them, so it's not. It's, it doesn't. They don't look like uh, blue bullets or who's that other company that that used to make uh, coated bullets. It, it doesn't look nice and clean like that. It looks I don't know powder coated, I guess. But either way, it's supposed to be better than a straight lead. It's supposed to be a little bit cleaner. Um, and I have to use lead bullets for where I shoot PPC, which I find very ironic that I have to use lead bullets at an indoor range. But huh. I, I I think that has more to do with their backstop than anything else. Okay. So, yeah, so it's lead only there. So either way, I got 300 rounds now loaded up for uh, for the next few matches. 
Um, I did try my new 3D printed bullet feeder. It worked about 99% of the time, which really isn't bad. Um, it definitely That's sped good. it definitely sped me up quite a bit. Being able to kind of like I don't have a tube or anything on it right now, so I only have five bullets in the bullet feeder at a time. But it means that you know if a case jams in the case feeder, I don't necessarily necessarily have to stop reloading to reach up and you know play with it the case feeder because I know that the bullets are going in on their own. Right. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that really got me held up was one time one of the bullets was deformed and it looked like it was either dropped or at the bottom of the box. So because it wasn't cylindrical, it didn't go through the through the die properly. Not a big deal. Just had to push it out, push it back out the other way and everything else went on fine after that. I've noticed the guys that reload in our club for PPC, they're, they're doing like the wad cutters because they cut a nicer hole in the paper. Yeah. You ever tried doing those or i have tried using what uh I, i've never used wad cutters but i've used semi wad cutters so it kind of had a bit of a point but it still had that white wad cutter rim at the edge mm-hmm. um, i know a lot of people swear by them because they make much nicer holes in the paper when you're shooting it looks like a hole punch <laughs> yeah it, it does it, they make really nice clean holes but the problem i found is that they're really slow on the reloads okay so I don't know how you guys do your PPC, but we have one string where it's six reload six, and it's from like seven yards, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So it's and, and you, I don't remember what the time is on it, but it's intended to be very much a draw, take six quick shots, reload six quick shots. Sure. And I've heard some people will actually load let or round noses specifically for that, and then they load wad cutters for everything else, where okay. you have a little bit more time if you have to, you know, fiddle with your reloads. But sure. to me, that's too much of a pain in the butt to have two separate loads, so I just do one. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's why I use semi-wide cutters, so they're just easier to feed. Yeah, I, I get the benefit. I just I don't imagine it going well with a moon clip because if one out of the six cases get held up, then they're all held up, and you don't know which one. So you end up kind of doing this weird wiggle thing where you're trying to find out which <laughs> one is. Which one had jammed up so it will go forward, then oh another one jammed up and oh you accidentally pulled it back out and you have to start again. So yeah. For the sake of speed, I don't do that. No, fair enough. Yep. Uh so I did find out something interesting since you're all knife people. Uh another <laughs> factor that people should consider when they have a when they're looking at a knife, uh the knife clip and specifically the pairing of it with your pants. Uh, depending on your clip and the thickness of your pants, uh, your clip may not hold very well, and it might be so weak that even your one-year-old can pit pocket you. <laughs> <laughs> Guess how I found that out? She pulled yeah. the knife out of your pocket? Yeah, my son just – and he started doing this to my wife where he'll walk up and pull her phone out of his po- out of her pocket – but yeah, one day I was just like making lunch or doing something and he just walked up and I felt him, you know, reach into my pocket kind of thing. And I looked down and, oh, he's holding on to my knife now. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had to make sure that uh, my my clip is tight enough, depending on the pants I wear. So something to keep sure. in mind. Yeah, you want it loose enough that it's easy access, but tight enough that uh, your one-year-old doesn't grab at it. Yeah. Thank well, goodness. Yeah, these were a pair of pants just for lounging around the house, so they weren't exactly uh, high quality, so they didn't exactly have a lot of material in them. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah. 
goodness. But I, I feel your pain there. My children will constantly go through my bag, and then Nico will be like, grab my utility tool, and he's got the knife out. He's like, what's this? <laughs> or he's like, Mom, i got to cut some cheese for you, okay? And I'm like, no, give me that bag. What are you doing in my purse? Stop. Yeah. So. Yeah, kids will be kids. Yeah, well, I guess it's good that uh, I keep my knife tight, like uh, tightly wound enough that he can't he can't actuate it, so he can't open it up. So we're oh, okay. No, yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Ho- well, hopefully by the time he has the strength to, he also has the knowledge not to you know stab himself. So. No. Um, would you say that your youngest is more impulsive? Um. Yes. And he's also, yeah. he's very much in that exploratory stage right now. So he's grabbing everything, trying to climb on everything. and Yeah. You, know. you see, it's normal for that age, but I find with my six-year-old, it's really hard to, you never know, because you think he's smart enough not to do certain things. But, like, the one day I caught him with the grown-up scissors in the bathroom by his eye. And I was like, I grabbed them quickly and pulled them away. And I said, what are you doing? I said, you know not to touch the grown-up scissors. So why do you have them? Well, my eyelashes were too long. (laughs) (laughs) So he is, in his mind, he's like, I'm big enough now. I can fix my own eyelashes. (laughs) But, yeah, I just, I with my oldest, I don't have to worry about stuff like that. Like, once you tell him once, like, don't touch this, it's fine. But yeah. Yeah, Nico, he's he's uh, he's a whole other ball game. Yeah, <laughs> tell you. So oh, yeah. keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've already gotten a taste of that when it comes to teaching my daughter about gun safety, and I tell her, you know, if you find a gun, what do you do? You know, you're supposed to go to go tell an adult, don't touch a gun. Yeah. And she said, Oh, like my cousin, she's ten years old. And I'm mm-hmm. like, No, she is not an adult, but she's bigger <laughs> than me. Well, just because you're bigger than you know three feet tall doesn't make you an adult Mm -hmm. fair enough yeah goodness yeah anyway just so after that uh i did readjust my uh my holster that i use for icor ipstick and i guess ppc coming up um i want to change it because the way i had it before it very much sat in front of my hip like right in front of my thigh which was the most comfortable and the fastest way i could draw the gun which was completely legal in all the games I play, like the holster position. But uh, I found that as soon as I try and like bend down and like my thighs go forward, um, the holster would actually jam up with my thigh and make it incredibly uncomfortable to the point where lots of times if there's a low port, I would take a knee as opposed to just squatting through there. Um, After the Ipsic match in Peterborough, the level three one, where they had a few squatting spots, I really realized that not being able to just squat down and stand right back up was a detriment. So I decided to move it over to the side now. Um, so that way it will be out of the way when I squat and sit down, things like that. And now going prone for PPC. And uh, yeah, uh, this is just a plan for the winter time because I know I'm not shooting nearly as much. I figure I can adjust the holster now and I have, you know, until spring to get used to it. You know, I know you meant the uh, like like the front of your thigh or your outer thigh there, but for some reason, my mind went into like an inner thigh kind of strap. <laughs> I don't know why, but I was just like, oh, what the heck? So, so, so you're thinking, so you're thinking I appendix carry it? 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I appendix carry a two pound, five inch long barrel revolver. Oh, wow. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that, okay. that would be pretty impressive, I think. <laughs> it would be, yeah. <laughs> Mike's uh, happy to see us. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a lot of jokes here, but I feel like I shouldn't make them. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyways, I'll move the thumb before we get uh, too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, So this week, we're talking about selecting a scope and the mounting of said scope onto your rifle. Uh, Actually, I assumed rifle, but I guess you could be doing this to a pistol as well as a shotgun. Um. So I guess first thing we'll talk about is how do you actually attach this uh, new scope that you bought to your to your gun? So uh, you can either have your rifle already drilled and tapped. Um, a lot of modern rifle does they come like that, but if it doesn't, then you can always take it to a uh, gunsmith and get them to drill and tap it. Uh, once you do that, you'll be able to actually mount a mount onto it, which is kind of like a bracket. How do I describe this? It's, uh, it goes the length with the gun usually, or it comes in two small pieces. Um, lots of times they come in what you'll call a weaver or uh, what's the other one that I'm thinking of right now? Picatinny. Picatinny, thank you. Um, which essentially is really just, there's a whole pile of cross slots in it. So if it's one long piece, then it allows you to move your scope rings forward and backward to accommodate the size and length of the uh, scope that you're putting on. Now, the Picatinny base will give you a lot more adjustment compared to a Weaver. Weaver's usually only has a couple of slots. Picatinny allows you to get a lot more eye ready, bring it forward or back. Yeah. It's a better uh, mounting system. What What really is the difference between Picatinny and Weaver? The Weaver usually just has like two basic slots. They don't have as many adjustments. And the Picatinny, I believe, is actually shorter adjustment. I believe it's... It was originally a, a mil spec design. I'm trying to recall, but it's that's what it. It's good thing with the Picatinny rail, for example, a lot of them will have uh, say they'll be numbered from one to fifteen or one to twenty. So for any reason you have to take your optic on or off, you can put it right back to the exact same place if you had quick disconnects. So you, it gives you a lot more uh, flexibility to set it up to the user. Okay. Yeah, because the Weaver ones we have usually have either just two, like two set bases or sometimes four where you can switch it around, but there, there's not a much flexibility. So it's really difficult getting the eye relief for some people on a Weaver base. Yeah. And usually you can buy firearm specific bases, right? Like you can just go to Cabela's and say, hey, I have a Remington 700 and they'll pretty much show you to an aisle and say, here are all the bases or here's the one base that we carry that you can mount to your gun. You have to get specific base design to fit your firearm. Um, and not all firearms have bases made for them. So most of the modern guns are on the Weaver charts, for example, or there are Picatinny charts as well. Um, and you got to really follow the instructions because some of them are different. Say, for example, um, the Savage uh, 220 bolt action rifles. Well, because the first two screws are over the chamber, they're not very, they're very shallow screws. They don't want to go as deep as, as the back ones because like, they're going into the chamber. So you have to make sure that you put it the right way and then you put the right screws in the right holes. So if you get a base or, or, or a specific firearm for a base for a specific firearm, read the instructions because it has to go in a certain way sometimes. Okay, okay. so would my 1022 have already come with a base then? 
because I, I have I was looking through my box here for my sculpt and they gave me two weaver mount top mount bases here. But I know we didn't use them because we used the plate that was already on the Ruger. Yeah, it had a mounting plate. So already. so yeah. maybe okay. But it was a weaver style as well, I believe. It was a weaver style. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense. That makes sense. So it, so that would have been already drilled and tapped. Yeah. yeah, that's one good thing about the Rugers, and most modern firearms are drilled and tapped. You still, even the, the new Savage Mark IIs are now drilled and tapped. They don't have groove receivers anymore. But you still, the odd time, have one that has a groove receiver. You're always better off to get it drilled and tapped instead of using the grilled receiver. Okay, but if that's so all you have, work. Is that really something on modern firearms, though? Like, I know some of my older, like my old Cooey has that. Yeah, the old Cooey's, I have it. far as I know, my last Marlin that I had the 795, it had a groove receiver, and I don't think it was drilled or topped as well, too. So So in this case, but, though, because my 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 um, uh, plate on top there has already preset where my my um, grips are going to be, I guess, uh, what would you call those? Where the rings are going. The rings are going, yeah. yeah. So that doesn't technically affect where my scope is actually being positioned because I can slide well, that back and yeah, forth. Yeah, you had you had different spots within that weaver, like like Thomas was saying, there's maybe two or three different spots you can put it into. I, I'd plus have to you look can, at it. Plus you can slide the scope forward, forward and, back and back. Okay. To, All right, to, some, so, to some degree, anyways. So it wasn't a bad thing that they already had it drilled and tapped for me. No, in that, that saves you from well, Good okay. thing, because a lot of times you'll, you'll when you get a firearm, you'll see uh, little filler screws are called. They usually to be four filler screws, and when you remove the screws, there'll be the proper drill holes for the proper lengths of different holes. Most of them, it's the same length, but there's a few that's not where the the base had, the front may be a little bit higher than the back, depending how the firearm's designed. So, it really is a spire, firearm specific that you a base that you're going to need. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then. Is that there are some advantages to the base too because if you get a taller base, it'll give you a little bit more mid of angle. So say you you've got a three by nine and your, your scope can max out at say 200 yards. If you put up a higher base, you'll you can get an extra 100 yards out of it. So your base will also affect your impact down range as well too. Okay, gotcha. I think that tends to be more higher end when you're looking at reaching out pretty far, isn't it, Thomas? Yeah, like the Rimfire Precision Series, where you're lobbing at 22, 300 yards, and you're compensating for probably two feet of bullet drop. Yeah, yeah something like okay. that. It's nice. It's nice to have it, right? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. When you said 200 yards, and I was thinking like most center fires, you know, you wouldn't need to have uh, any real adjustment on that. No, no, not not for practical purposes. But if you're doing say long range silhouette shooting, then you're going to want to get the extra minute of angle on your optic. Yeah. Go for a high base. And then the uh, the next piece on top of that is your rings. Um, most come in, in uh, two-piece sets, so you'll have your front and your back ring. Um, there are single piece where it will be an entire bracket on the bottom, as well as the rings built into it. Um, I don't really know a whole heck of a lot of what the difference really is besides the one-piece ones will be lined up better for you right from the factory, whereas if you're using two pieces, the small amount of wiggle room that you have, you could technically kind of off-center them. They won't be perfectly centered. Uh, also, two individual ones will be lighter than a one-piece just because there's less material in the middle. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Uh, you have yeah. So you have a few more options there, but really the size that you're going to go off of. There's two things. Uh, one's going to be the tube size. So base, this will come from your scope. Uh, it'll have a tube size. So you want to make sure that when you clamp down, that that center, you know, that gap in the middle is the right size. So you're not going to crush too much or it be too loose. Uh, the, the other thing you also have to know the size. You also have to know the size of your tube. So if you're going to get rings, you have to know whether you need a one-inch ring or or 30 millimeter tube because yeah. there's different sizes. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying that those aren't usually included with your scope. That's something you have no. to find. No, no, the rings. No, the rings are not included with your scope. But you'll look at your scope to get some some data from it in order to okay. select what rings you want to get. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Now some some do some some of the, the lower end scopes do come with groove uh, receiver mount. You you can get them with rings, and actually uh, Bushnell has a rimfire one that's about 170 150 bucks, and it comes with rings. That's that's not bad for the money. So you can get some with rings, but mostly they don't. Okay, good to know. Yep. And also at this time you'll want to you'll or you'll see at least an option of the height of the rings. So. Really, at that point in time, you're trying to figure out with my mount on my rifle and you're getting a good position behind the rifle, you want to make sure that the height of the range will hold the scope at just the right height. So you're not having to either lift your head off your stock or trying to pretty much drive your eyeball into the stock to get low enough to see through the scope properly. So there is a little bit of adjustment there. Um, to be you honest, see, you can see through rings too, right? Pardon me? You can get see-through rings too, yeah. right? Yeah, you can get see-through ones. Usually those are even higher and they'll have a gap underneath so that you can literally see right through them and you can see your iron sights. Uh, if that's what you want, that's great. But you have to consider that your iron sights are now going to be, you know, an inch below your, your scope. So one way or another, one of them is not going to have a good cheek rest on it. Well, you're going to have a chin weld and a cheek weld. Yeah, exactly. Right? You have a good cheek weld for your iron sight, but then it means you have a chin weld for your scope, right? So that's kind of the trade-off of it. Um, Basically, what you want to do is get your objective lens as close to the barrel as you can, basically. On a hunting rifle, as low as you can is better. Yep. There is too low. Uh, Obviously, like we said, too low if your eye doesn't get low enough. And there's also the, uh, like you said, the bell of the scope. If it is too big then it will actually hit the the rifling. Um, that is kind of a bit of a math question of how high is your mount plus your rings above your barrel where your scope is going to be, and is the bell, the biggest part of your scope, going to be so big that it reaches back down and hits the barrel? Is it possible like, that, the, uh, that your bolt could come back and hit the eyepiece? Would that okay? It can. It can. I've... I've... If you've got your, I've had my power change ring too far over, and I was letting some of the kids shoot it, and they weren't realizing that they, when they were bringing the bolt back, they were knitting my power, my power ring. So I got a nice little dent in my ring. Didn't affect the scope, but yeah, it, yeah. you got to be careful on clearance. Yeah, I don't think that it's really an issue of hitting the scope itself. I think it's more like Thomas said, it's going to be an accessory on the scope, like your adjustment or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it was clearing the belt, it was clearing the lens, but that that. The adjust power ring sticks out about half an inch, and it was just enough where if you didn't pull it straight back, you would hit it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when Mike mentioned too low, something on say an AR where your stock and your barrel are the same height, you can't get it. You can't get low enough, so you have to actually bring the optic up a little bit to your eye. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's kind of most of it about uh, rings. 
if you take your if you took your rifle like Amanda right now, if you took your rifle with the mount into your gunsmith or your gun store and you said, Hey, I want to get a scope for this, they will usually get the rings and they will make sure everything fits for you. Oh, good. So you don't necessarily have to like have everything memorized when you go into the store if you can if you are able to bring your firearm in and get them to mount it for you. Yep. Yeah, that's what people. You come in and you buy a scope or a rifle. I will mount it on you uh, for you, no charge. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, because I do want to. I do want a scope for my savage. I just haven't done that, or not my savage. Yeah. Yeah, savage. Sorry. Yes, my savage. Sorry. Yeah, most reputable stores will will do it properly. They'll clean up the the, the holes and Loctite it and everything and boresight it for you. So I every scope I put on, I do the same way if I mount my own scope. So. Oh, very good. Um, and yeah, and also usually if you're getting a gunsmith or a store to mount it, they, they bore sight it. So what that means is it's kind of like a rough alignment and it makes it so that, and now Thomas, you probably have a much closer spec idea, but I assume that usually it's like on a sheet of paper at 50 yards or something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a cross grid. So when you put it on and you line it up, you can get a, I just blanked to arbors and the arbor for different calibers will fit into a basically it's a magnetic um, a magnified graph so when you look through your scope there's basically a graph with your crosshairs and you just line it up to your center and it's just a matter of going to your uh, turrets and adjusting your scope left to right up or down you're never going to be dead on usually they're all off a couple of inches but it gets you on paper and it's a lot better foresighting it first than going out wasting a lot of ammunition so if a store offers you that take it yeah take the foresighting i've learned the hard way it, it makes a difference. <laughs> Have you ever used one of those uh, lasers that go in the chamber? Um, I have, but I like a little distance for those, and I, I don't have the distance unless I actually take the gun into the range. Because if I'm going to set up somebody's gun with, with a laser, I want to set up where at the distance I'm shooting at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We that's... have them. We've never used it. The only time we actually use a laser is um, some of the air guns actually have muzzle brakes, believe it or not, on, a, on an air gun. And I'll, I'll bore sight it for you, but I can't get the arbor in because it's, the, the muzzle brake's too big. It's in the way. I can't get it to see. So to tie, like, things like that, then I'll use the laser to, to dial it in or get it as close as I can. Yep. So now we're on to the actual scope itself. Uh, there's a lot of there's, – there's too many scope brands out there. They're really just are. Um, it, it can get very easy to get overwhelmed about which one is the good one, which one's not. You know, you see good reviews for one brand, but maybe one one uh, one product line of theirs is good, and people say the other one's bad. So it's it's really hard to say, you know, completely which ones are the good ones and the bad ones. Um, I can say I have experience with, I believe, uh, Bushnell and and Vortex. And I have been satisfied with both of them so far. Mm -hmm. uh, what good companies? Yep. What what uh, companies do you have experience with, uh, Thomas? Like actually using uh, yourself, not just at work. Oh yeah, uh, Bushnell, fantastic. They they were really good and had a problem. Uh, Vortex, I did a warranty through my Spark. They sent me a whole new scope. No issues whatever. Um, I bought some cheap scopes over the years. Um, I bought a really cheap. Tasco once and it was a pain in the butt to get it replaced. It was horrible. And I, I think it was like 18 or 19 and $100 is a lot of money for me back then when I'm 19. So I've avoided Tasco ever since then. 
Oh, well, um, what, what made it a pain in the butt? Was it, um, like, the lens itself, or was it keeping it steady? What, like, what, was it mounting it? Like, what, what was the issue with it? It was a turrets. It, was, it wasn't tracking, and I was on my third scope, and they still weren't tracking. I said, you know what, give me my money back. And you keep yeah. sending me these garbage scopes. And actually, the fourth one they sent me actually worked. What, oh. what did that, that mean? Said, this, Sorry, what did that mean, the tracking? Well, on your turrets to go left and right, up and down, they they, they wouldn't hold. You'd get it dialed in, you fire, and it would constantly go out of alignment, constantly. Okay, so like the your point of impact would drift off from the point of aiming. It would never, yeah, it would never yeah. stay the same. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And that's yep. that's benching it. So it, I, t- I tried to take myself out of the equation. So it was the scope, not me. Now that said. That was many years ago, and Tasco is owned by a different company now. Actually, I think Bushnell picked them up. I think they, they own the Tasco line. So at least if you have any problems, you're dealing with Bushnell now, which is a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. Um, I have seen some really bad scopes. So. Yeah, when you started talking, it reminded me about my first scope. I completely forgot about it. It was the one that I put on the uh, on my 1022 and I brought to the Maple Seed where I met you, Thomas. Oh, the one that it, fell apart on the line? It literally fell apart on the line. I was shooting it, and I remember the like shooting and being like saying to the instructor, like, I don't think something's or I think something's wrong. I think something's wrong. And and I think the instructor was kind of like, uh, here here's the guy who had a million and one excuses why it's you know not him and it's his gun. And I think like the reticle literally like fell out while I was shooting it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's something wrong with this. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Do you remember what brand what brand it was? I I know I bought it from Canadian Tire and that's about all I remember. <laughs> so I I've seen some pretty some pretty bad ones. Um, there's one I think it was called Nico Sterling, um, and they charged big bucks for them. The the, the glass was terrible. Simmons, um, I I looked through their six by twenty four, and it was foggy. <laughs> it's like. That's not clear at all. And then you look through any any of the Bushnells or any of the Vortex, and it's crystal clear. So when you get to the hundred dollar mark on optics, you're you're scratching the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. You really are. You can you can get a half decent, especially if they're on sale, a half decent Bushnell or Vortex, um, two to three hundred. Yeah. Like we Mark. we cleared off those so yeah. those pet Nikon's for like hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, Vortex don't go on sale very often. No, they don't. I've seen them on sale once, actually. Yeah. <laughs> once. I think I think I bought one on sale once, and I think it was literally like I bought it as soon as this, it was like a general sale or like the store or whatever was 15% off, and I bought it right away, and I think the next day <coughs> I went online, and I saw they had an asterisk, no vortex. No vortex. Vortex no, not included. Now, I think they gave me the discount because they realized that I or I bought it before they had put that asterisk in there, but yeah. I well, the problem is some, some real re- retailers have minimum advertised pricing. They cannot advertise it anything lower to make it fair for the, the small guys. But once you're in the store, he can they can sell it to you for whatever they want. But they're not supposed to advertise it. Yeah. Yeah, you get spanked for that if you do. Yeah. So, Amanda, what uh, do you have any experience with any scopes? Uh, I just have the one which was gifted to me. It's a Bushnell Elite. Um, and so far, like I have not a whole lot to compare it to other than using Josh's, uh, Savage gun and his scope that's mounted on there. And I will say I probably like his a tad better, but I do like mine quite a bit. I, I will say, I think I need to have it, um, uh, maybe zeroed in again, 
but overall, I find even when I have it on the max uh, magnification that it's not too shaky. Like it is a little bit, but it's not too crazy. So it goes up to seven mag- uh, seven times magnitude uh, magnifying. So, so it's a three to seven. Uh, two to seven. So in a thirty-two millimeter. So I I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, I find I I think you Josh thought that I had it really close, but I think it's just the way that I am and the way I. Yeah, your eye relief is going to be different. Than yeah, mine. my eye yeah. relief is different, but uh, no. So that's the only experience I've had. I it's uh, not falling apart or. <laughs> no, they're good. The elite the elite's a good scope. No, I'm I'm pretty That's... happy with it. But I was just curious for is there you know a difference between someone who target shoots like myself versus hunting if there's a like a preference or a feature that they should be looking for that would maybe differ between the two? Well, just the, the crosshairs. Yeah, crosshair, the magnification that you want, um possibly size cuz size translates to weight. Okay. Uh, um now, I say magnification, usually you want lower magnification, and that's just because you're not usually reaching out, you know, a thousand meters, whereas if you're into long-range shooting, you could be reaching out to a thousand meters, and you need that incredibly high magnification to see your target. Yeah, I I, I was using, when I was at the Partisan Rifle Shoot, I, it was uh, 90 meters, and I feel like I could use a little bit more just to kind of zone in a little better. Like, it wasn't too bad, but I I think I would want it a bit more. But I'm sure people are shooting sometimes at longer ranges than 90 meters, so... Yeah. Especially hunting, right? Can I I ask you a question about your scope? So is your scope a rimfire version of the Elite? No. Okay, so your parallax is 100 yards in that scope anyway. Okay. So So that's, that's all I really needed for. 90 meters, uh, I, I'd like a little more myself. Like three to nine would make me a little bit happier. Okay. I find it a two to seven, I'm happy up to maybe 50 yards, and anything after 50 yards, I like something a little bit bigger too. Okay. Well, it's not too often that I do that, but maybe for my savage, I would look for something a little bigger so I could. Pre- I I find it's a lot more accurate my mark too. So even though it doesn't have the speed for it for maybe the partisan. That's uh, funny because I I find I don't zoom in very much. Like I. I rarely will go past maybe five times on mine. Like when I did the 90 yards there in Guelph, I was only at five times and I was comfortable. <laughs> so I, I think it, I think it feels too, too shaky to yeah. zoom in. Yeah. I think oh, yeah. It's, it's very personal. I think like what magnification at what distance you prefer. Yeah. I'm typically at four or five. That's it. Usually. Yeah. yeah like I have a buddy who is military and he was like, anything over four is not worth, is like a waste of time. Because that's, really? that's what he was issued, right? He was issued, I think, an ACOG with like a four times, and that was it. So like, he just yeah. never saw a need to go any further than that. Okay. Yeah. And, and under most circumstances, you're not going to. But if you're target shooting or long range hunting, it's it's nice to have the the ability to reach out and touch. Yep. Uh, Josh, do you have any experience with any scopes? I have a Nikon Pro Staff uh, three to nine, and that's really the only real scope I have. I have I have a crappy one on my Kui. <laughs> it's uh, probably from the 70s. I forget what it's even called, a Universal or something like that. And uh, yeah, it's just a fixed four power, so yeah. it kind of looks like 
kind of looks like someone spilled coffee on it when you look through it. But oh, um, <laughs> but it's a cooey, so I mean that's you know it goes with the vintage. That's right. Yeah, it's vintage. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, the Nikon I'm really happy with. I, I really like the reticle. It's very sharp. Um, it's got the bullet drop. Uh, it's got the indicators below, so it's nice to uh, really nice to sight to to quickly sight in on a target with. Um, yeah, it's just really clear. I, I don't I don't have a lot of experience to compare it to, but most of the other scopes that I have peeked through, I, I generally like mine better, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. But it's not it's not a rimfire uh, specific either. Um, I just got a good deal on it, so I bought that. And I, and I do want to hear more about parallax because that was something that I was um, looking at when I was looking at scopes. If you get a rimfire scope, you want to make sure that you have a a parallax that's appropriate. So I do want to hear more about that. All right, so why don't we go back? I, I, don't, I don't feel like I've really been, I don't feel like there's any detriment to the scope that I've purchased, but maybe there is and don't realize it. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we take a step back and we'll talk about when you are selecting a scope, uh, what all the numbers mean. So usually most, most uh, like I'm just looking at mine, I have a Diamondback Tactical from Vortex, and it says 3 minus 9 times 40, so... Uh, do your bed math. Brackets, no. Exponents, no. No, no. That's not what it means. What it means is the 3-9 means that the uh, magnification on the low end is 3 and it goes all the way up to 9. Um, usually that means that you can stop anywhere in between. Um, there are a very limited, but there are some scopes that actually have like a hard, hard set on them. So it's like 0, 4, and it's just a switch, and you don't get anything in between. Uh, but you're probably you're not going to find a lot of those out there. Um, and then when it says times 40, what that 40 is is that's the size of the uh, the objective or the objective or the bell. Um, so that's the large, the, the further away from you portion of the scope. And the reason why people care what that number is is the larger the number, it means it's bigger. So it will get more light. The more light it gets, the I believe usually the clearer your picture your uh, your picture will be. Um, so, so would be a recommended um, uh, unit there because so mine's a thirty-two millimeters. Yeah, uh, so, I I don't know. I I couldn't recommend to someone what size to pick. Maybe Tom. Yeah. Can, but like I wouldn't go any lower than thirty-two. Okay. What's most common? Because you've seen them in that lowest, like I've seen Tasco one to fours that are 20, and they're really, really tiny. So you've got almost no field of view whatsoever. But 32 and up, it's gonna be whatever size you get, that's gonna impact how high you're gonna have to put up your scope. So yeah. between 32 and 40 are, is usually pretty good. Um, if you go up to say 44, you're gonna have to get extra high rings because most oh. rings are like you are high. They only go to uh, 40, the biggest rings we sold, and we actually had some tactical rings that we had to use. The scope, the bell was so big on the scope. Yeah. Not to mention if you're hunting or you're you're trucking around your rifle, the larger it is, the heavier it will be as well. Yeah, I don't have muscle. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to answer Josh's question about parallax, when you get most three to nine hunting scopes and two by sevens, their parallax is set at 100 yards. So. If you didn't use your full power, you're not going to see a clear image until you're at 100 yards. With your with your scope, Amanda, if you're at, say, 20 yards, you have to dial it back down to probably 
four or five before you can actually see the, the target clearly? That's correct. And I would say I probably sit at a three and a half to a four. So. Yeah, so you know for sure that scope is parallax at, 50, at 100 yards. With the rimfire scope, they have, that's your focus, basically. On your full power, your focus will be at 100 yards if you want a clear image. Most rimfire scope parallax is 50. That's still, you're still going to have to dial it back. Ideally, you want um, an optic where you can adjust your focus. So you can either have an adjustable objective lens in the front. It'll have uh, great graduates marked for 5, 10, 15, 20 to infinity, and you can focus your parallax down, or it's on the side. The more modern ones are on the side, they have a side focus. So you can adjust the parallax for the distance that you're shooting. It makes it a lot easier because then if you're shooting at 20 yards, for example, I've got a 6 to 24 scope. I can set it up at 20 yards, and that target's like two inches from my face. I can see exactly where those bullets are going. Okay, cool. Ideally, you want something with an adjustable focus if you're going to do target shooting, because then you can dial it in for different distances. You don't have to worry about your focus. Mm -hmm. Very good. And neither of ours have that. So. No. No, you, yeah, you're both 100 yards, mm -hmm. which is fine, because it's designed for hunting. That's what it was designed for. Mm -hmm. So uh, something else you uh, might take into consideration when you're looking at different scopes would be the uh, the glass coatings. Um, I don't really know a lot about the different coatings. I just know that you hear you hear people talk about it all the time. Do you know what it I means? I can tell you about I can tell you about the coatings. The more coatings, the more the more expensive the basic the scopes gonna be. <laughs> you gotta watch the wording of, of the coating because there's fully multi-coated, then there's fully multi-coated all air surfaces. So it get it'll the cheaper ones will say Fully multi-coated, not just the front lens and back lens, just the air to contact lenses have those coatings. When you go up to the more expensive, they have fully multi-coated where all the lenses inside and out are coated. The advantage of that is color correction. I mean, if you've got a, a fully multi-coated lens uh, all the way through, it, as I said, if you look, say, through Josh's Nikon and then you look through a $99 Simmons, you'll notice a difference because Josh's lenses has the fully multi-coated in, in the front and the back. And the Simmons has like this crappy Rubicon or some just on the front two lenses. So it will remain really it, it, your color correction and way the light transfers through is really affected by the coatings. That's why a high camera, high, high dollar camera lenses are very expensive because all the lenses, depending how it's constructed, have different layers and different types of coating, anti-reflective coating, anti-glare coating, you know, UV coating, color correcting coatings, there's all kinds. So the coatings themselves will add a big price to the optic. Yeah, so I'm just taking a look at mine. So mine says it's fully multi-coated. I do see that it says, what's that, multi-wide band coated and mm -hmm. argon purge. So they purge. They purge it with either nitrogen or argon to get rid of uh, all the air in there, so no, you don't get any dust showing up. Basically, it makes an airtight seal. Doesn't it also? Isn't it also to remove any moisture as well, so that yeah. you won't get any fogging? Yeah, and exactly. I also see a rain guard HD, so that must be like protection on the outside coating, so that if it exactly. rains, that it. The water so it's like if um, it the water will just run off instead of beating. Okay. So if, you, if it get beating, then the light's refracting when, it, when any light hits it. So that's exactly what you want a scope. So you can get a, a decent scope, 
the front lens and the rear lens are fully multi-coated, not just the outside. So what about care for the coating net or for the lenses then? Do you, uh, does anybody ever wipe them down with like a glasses lens cl uh, cleaner, like a, like a cloth or? I have a, I have a lens pen. Um, I would suggest against using lens pens uh, okay. for prolonged use of time because any any dirt gets caught in there and then you're just starting to scratch the lens with a lens pen. You're That's always better to use. Because um, I have one. I have a lens pen. Um, I also have a lot of camera equipment. You're always better to use something designed just for cleaning lenses and proper like, lens cleaning cloths. Like you would for your glasses? Like are, are you, want, you would treat them just like your glasses, basically. Okay, so like basically like a cleaning cloth for the glasses is fine. So because I keep one of those in my bag with my my safety glasses. So yeah, if I find that there's anything coming on the outside, I could give it a quick wipe. I've not had to yet, but once in a while I've had to clean that, that one. Uh, I have a Bosch Lomelite Elite four thousand, and I've had that for twenty five years, and I've probably cleaned it three or four times. It's sitting in the safe. It gets dust. It's out in the field. It gets shoots and. Especially in the maple seed, you're shooting prone, you get all the dust and crap and water comes up and it does hit it. So, okay. Yeah. But the, the important thing is, it's like your glasses. You never want to wipe it dry. You always want to get a wet cleaning system. You want to wet the stuff off and then take it off. You never want to do a dry wipe with anything. You always, like you said, use the spray, get it moist, and then wipe it off. Because if you do a dry wipe, you'll just scratch lenses. Okay. That's why you never really, you should never take your glasses and clean them with your t shirt. Cause that's what scratches your glasses is your t shirt. I have such a bad habit of doing that. <laughs> and I bet your glasses are really scratched. No, no, they haven't been. No, no. I, I, I buy the, the higher end coatings on my, my glasses as well as the blue, uh, like the blue light. So, yeah, you treat your optics just like your eyes. You want to get the anti coating. Anti glare. Gotcha. No, it makes sense. Okay. It's just some of the cheaper ones, say for example, uh, uh, the task will have this thing called a Rubicon. It was their own proprietary and it was just on the outside lenses, nothing else. Mm -hmm. So it looked really neat when you looked at it, but when you look through it, it looked terrible. So mm -hmm. they, they, I find a lot of times uh, manufacturers are a little misleading. You have to read exactly what it says. It's a fully multi-coated or on all air to glass surfaces, so just the outside lenses. If it says fully multi-coated, then you'll both sides of the lenses. But read Just read the box. like Read it carefully. That's a good idea. Because sometimes the wording can be a little tricky. Yeah. And what would you say is the lifespan of a, a scope itself? Like, I mean, to me, it should be a piece that should last for a lifetime, but what's a lifetime, right? Uh, like, obviously, my... Pardon? So you drop it from a tree stand. Drop it from a tree stand. <laughs> or you have mics where it completely falls apart. How long did you have that mic? Um, probably a year or two. Yeah, I have a feeling it should last a lot longer than yeah, that. Yeah, I would I would expect most most scope to last longer. Like, are we talking thirty plus years? Or are we talking ten plus years? I don't know. Lifetime. Lifetime. Yeah, I, I, I still have a two to seven bush knife that I've had since I was 12 years old downstairs. It still mm -hmm. works. I lend it to my neighbor, lend, use it in his air gun for, or his paintball gun for a couple of years, and it's back in my basement. Oh, it's a piece of crap, but it works. <laughs> That's good. And is there and any other I, care that you need to do with your scope <coughs> other than maybe cleaning the lens? 
the important thing is that when when it comes to waterproofness, your turret caps are a big part of that because they're open construction. So you don't want to ever take that gun out in the rain if you don't have your turret caps on. Because even though they're sealed up pretty good, it's the turret caps that have the rubber baskets. So when you're finished, make sure you put those caps back on. Don't go in the field without turret caps. Okay. So since you're on that subject, we'll talk about turrets. Um, really, well, outside of the uh, the amount of adjustment for every click, usually it's either quarter MOA. I think you can get eighth MOA if you're talking like real high end or half MOA. What that really means is uh, how much will the reticle move at what is it, one MOA, which is roughly an inch at 100 yards. And I'm sure someone's yelling at me because I know it's not exactly an inch, but I use that as a reference. Um, so obviously it, the it smaller... It could be, be MRAD too. Yeah. Not just MOA these days, so you really have to watch. Yeah. What's so, MRAD? Minute of Radian. What's that? Um, a, okay. I didn't remember. I'm so glad Mike remembered that. <laughs> um, okay. So what's a Radian? Radian is... Uh, do, we, do we save this for the Say It Again episode? Or? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll we'll look it up for that, but I, I'm trying to remember what a radian is because I remember doing it in school, like physics or math or something. Anyways, yeah, it, it's a unit of measurement of how much your how much your reticle will move at a certain distance. Um, okay. So obviously, the smaller the number is, the more fine the adjustment is. Um, like I don't unless you're going super high end, like a quarter a quarter of an inch at 100 yards. If I'm worried about a quarter of an inch, I'm going to be ecstatic about my shooting. Right. Right. So I don't even need that that tight of a movement, but obviously the you'll pay more for a higher or sorry a smaller number. Um, on that topic, there is exposed versus not exposed turrets. So what that means is a lot of hunting guns. Once you get it sighted in, you may not want it hit. You don't want to bump it when you're walking through the trees. So what that means is a lot of times you'll have to take off a cap, adjust your, your zero with like a screwdriver or whatever you're using, and then you'll put this cap back on top and you won't be able to accidentally bump it or anything. So in that case, it can be very good. If you are doing more target shooting and like changing distances, so you're doing some sort of competitive shooting where you're shooting at different distances, you may want exposed ones. Um, so they will have little like uh, like measurements on it, so you know where your zero point is at, just say 100 yards, and you can punch in. Oh, at 300 yards, you know I need to move up three inches or whatever, or so many clicks, and you can just turn it without having to take apart your scope. So it's nicer for quick adjustment, but obviously if you were walking through the bush with that, and you banged it against a tree, you know, did you just spin off zero and now you miss your deer kind of thing? Okay. It's yeah. it's it, they're nice to have too because if you've sighted it in already, you know you're zero. So if you've um if you've bore set it and you can re and you've got you've used up a lot of elevation or whatever, you can actually just reset your turrets to to zero. So you're set. If you know oh, you yeah. need three Mike, clicks Mike at hundred yards, just click click, and you want to go back, just click it back down to zero. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So for a super newbie here, what does bore sighting mean? Bore sighting is what we were talking about before, where you... Are you listening to the first part of the episode? 
pulled a Thomas. She pulled a Thomas. Where essentially you're using something like a laser sighter or something like that, and you're just kind of roughly lining your scope up. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, got it. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, so different types. Usually of it's me doing it, man. Don't feel bad. <laughs> So there's different types of reticles out there. So that's what you actually see when you look through your scope. Um, crosshairs, which is just straight lines up and down. Uh, that's your standard hunting. There's not really a lot of extra information, but in some cases that's good. It's very straightforward. There's no clutter. Um, if you start looking at target scope that have wind and drop adjustments, they can get very busy. Um, I would say for someone who's new to this, Unless you have high ambition about like shooting long range competitively, I wouldn't bother with anything too fancy. I have for my Diamondback scope, it does have uh, it does have hash marks, but it's not a very busy scope. Like it's very clean. Um, that's kind of a personal preference. You can also get some that are illuminated, so. Like a red dot, you turn you turn a knob somewhere to turn it on, and your uh, reticle will light up. Um, the only people I know who have any interest in this tend to be more like three-gun tactical type shooters, people who want to increase how quickly they can pretty much do a snapshot. It's funny. I've got one that's illuminated, and I never use illumination, but I've got another one that has just the red dot in the center, and I like using the red dot in the center. Yeah, but I don't like the light up crosshairs. Depending on the lighting situation, I don't really need need them that often. Yeah, it, it's very much a personal preference thing. Um, if you are new getting into this, I would say you do not need something illuminated, and I would say you don't need a very busy reticle. You don't need to know some crazy crosswind, you know, holdovers. Just keep it simple when you're getting into it. Um, size and weight might be a concern for you. Um, that's that's pretty much personal preference and what you're setting up your rifle to do, whether you really care about how heavy or large it is. Um, something else to look into is eye relief. So what that means is that is the distance from the scope, the close side to you, and your eye. That is... Usually it can come in a few different numbers and it might have a minimum or a maximum. And usually it means that in that distance window, you will have a perfectly clear view through your scope. Um, that might change depending on what kind of setup you're running. Um, if obviously if your scope or your, your scope is really for, far forward, like on a scout rifle, then, you know, you really need to pay attention that your eye relief is going to be the right distance. I would say for most people, if you're new to this, it's most scopes will be close enough. You don't need to worry about it. So what's what's kind of the process of determining what the right eye relief is for you? Like kind of loose, loosely mount it and shoulder the rifle and just kind of slide it back and forth? Or how do you go about that? That That's pretty much what I would do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, turn it up to maximum and when you do it... Turn it up to maximum magnification. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That, that will be the worst sighting like that will when you crank up the magnification your eye relief window gets smaller so that's why you want to use it in the highest magnification okay yeah, it, gets, it gets critical at the high the highest so say for example at uh, say three power you might have an eye relief of two to three inches but at nine power you're going to have an eye relief of a half an inch 
So you want to make sure that as soon as you shoulder it, the way you normally shoulder it, when you put that cheek down, it's full circle nine power. Okay. Well, yep. I might have to do that then. Yeah. Definitely. And then after that, if you just turn it down, you'll you'll get your eye relief every time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That that is part of the actual uh, mounting slash part of actually sighting in your your uh, your scope, getting it set up properly for you, which we'll probably go more into detail next episode. Um. So we already talked about your parallax. Um. That's kind of it that I can think of right now. We kind of covered everything else. Uh, do you have anything else, Thomas? Um, no, I guess we can cover the rest in the next episode. Yeah. Because it's it's going to make a difference in the type of rings you get, and then we get into ring mounting kits and lapping kits and stuff like that. Give you a little more detail, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 do that in the next episode because I think this episode is getting long. Uh, <laughs> Amanda, Josh, do you have any questions about anything we talked about? No, this has been very educational. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll just uh, we'll move on from here, and uh, we'll obviously continue this conversation in a, in a later episode. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'll, I'll just add about the eye relief: most manufacturers, if you if you if you're looking for an optic, say for example, I was just on the Bushnell website, they actually list it, so you can see you can see the difference between the cheaper scopes and the somewhat limited eye relief and the higher end scopes with a little bit more generous eye relief. So if you're looking for something, the manufacturers do list the eye relief on, on the specifications of all the scopes. And you can use that as a, as a comparison. A good manufacturer will. A good, a reputable one will. Yeah. Cause I don't know if Canadian tire displayed that. <laughs> like, like, like Mike said, there's, there's, there's not a lot of brands up here that um, people are, they don't do well um, in the retail environment. So you've got like Leopold, you got Vortex, you got Bush now. Um, you, you've got Zeiss, Leica, some really high end stuff. Um, a lot of the companies don't like bringing in new brands because there's just there's so many. You you want to get a reputable brand, and if somebody brings in, a, say, a, a brand B that you've never heard of, a lot of stores won't even bother carrying them because there's no support for them. So if you go to a store and they've got this fantastic sale on a scope you've never heard of, and it's just it's such a great deal, there's a reason it's going for a great deal because nobody else is selling them. So yeah, nobody else wants it. Nobody else wants them. Yeah, because that is something to consider if that is a concern for you is your warranty. I will say with I had a very similar experience to you as you with Vortex, um, where I had a problem with one of my I think it was with one of my red dots. And I sent it in, and like you said, like if you can track it in, and like they got it that morning, and that night they shut they shipped me out a new one. So that could so be a concern if you're worried if you're worried that you're going to break stuff a lot. I would say with electronic stuff, it tends to matter more the warranty, but I would say with your standard scope, how rough are you going to be? I think it's just a and it's a hard thing for new shooters, I think, to wrap their heads around that. You know, I just spent X amount of dollars on a new gun, and I got to spend almost the same amount again for a scope. <laughs> it's, it just seems like a, it's, a, it's hard to wrap your head around. It is, and I can definitely understand why people would be hesitant. I I still am hesitant, right? Like, the nicest scope I have is the Vortex Diamondback, and that was supposed to be to treat myself with my 308. But, like, I've never bought anything more expensive, and I've never had, I've never needed anything more expensive because I don't shoot that far in that accurate to begin with. 
Yeah. One thing I had a question about warranties, though. Like, do you typically have to register your product? I don't see here for my Bushnell that I had to, but... Like that that's one thing I noticed. Like the gun companies you just tell them what you have and they seem to be like, Okay, they sure, mail, hand, mail, hand it mail, off to you. Mail parts to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, so it, it, it's funny. We we had a, a gentleman come in and he had probably a bush now from the the seventies, late sixties. Like well, I think it was called a sports chief. I haven't seen those since I was a kid. And the crosshairs had snapped. And, you know, he's we send it but he said, Oh, we'll send it and see what happens and they, they repaired it. They did fix the scope for them, so they have the option of either repairing or replacing. Now, would you find that most companies you don't have to register? They just, you know, you you just email them as you need them, or? I I think so. I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember registering mine. I, to tell you the truth, I don't even know if there's like where the serial number is on my red dot. Okay. So that well, kind of answers that kind of answers the question, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. Great. Well, if you have any uh, questions about this, we will be revisiting the scopes uh, topic and we'll talk about maybe a little bit more detail about how to mount it. And really, it's all related to how to get yourself properly lined up and uh, sighted in. Uh, so, yeah. So if you have any feedback, questions or comments, uh, you can email us at host at newshootercanada.ca, our Facebook page or the comment section on the website at newshootercanada.ca. Uh, so I just had a, a closing comment, if you will. Um, next week is going to be our Christmas episode. Uh, send us your Christmas list and any other random firearm things that you're asking for this year. We're uh, interested to hear what people what people want this year. I agree. Yep. Uh, shout outs. Thomas? Nothing. I can't think of anything. <laughs> I'm tired and I'm hungry. So I haven't had my dinner yet. All right. <laughs> let's move this on. <laughs> Amanda, you have any shout outs? Uh, none this week. No. Josh? No, nobody's impressed me this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like that's uh, asking for trouble. Uh, hopefully your <laughs> wife isn't listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm uh, I'm in the same boat as everyone else. I don't have any shout-outs going on this week. Um, so until next week, uh, time spent at the range and time spent with family. Keep your barrels pointed downrange and smoking. Uh, go ahead and shoot like a girl. Choose your caliber wisely. All right, good night, everybody. Well, I really like 22 now. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or feedback you may have, or if you just want to call shenanigans. You can contact us at host at newshootercanada.ca or through our Facebook page. The way they look, I like the shiny steel and the polished wood. I don't care if they're big or small, they're for sale till I want them all. I like guns, I like guns, I like guns.